1: will be, um, by a long shot, the most expensive election in Australia's history, and COVID has a a, a big part of that. All of these are things that we're trying to deal with to make sure that the election is as normal as it possibly can be, and that everyone feels that it's safe to go into the polling place and to vote, or to vote by post, or whatever they're doing at that point. Welcome to the
0: National Security Podcast, brought to you by the ANU National Security College, with support from policyforum.net. In this episode, the Australian Electoral Commissioner, Tom Rogers, joins Rory Metcalfe in conversation. Before we get into it, we'd like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal people, traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. So welcome to another episode of the National Security Podcast and our National Security Summit Series, where we speak with uh, w- with leaders from across the national security community in Australia and internationally. It's a real pleasure today to welcome Tom Rogers, who's the, uh, the Australian Electoral Commissioner. Uh, and many of you may be wondering why, in a national security series, we're going to speak to uh, the individual who has a very special responsibility for. Australia's elections, not only in a security sense. So, uh, Tom Rogers, welcome to the program. I would love to begin by simply asking you, what does the Australian Electoral Commission do? What's your job?
1: Thank you, Rory, and thank you for the invitation to be here as well. Who would have thought a few years ago that an electoral commissioner would be involved in a discussion of national security? Um, the electoral Commission uh, is involved on a daily basis in helping deliver democracy to Australians. So when there's no election, we're maintaining the role or growing the role. And in fact, uh, on Wednesday of this week, the role tipped over 17 million enrolled Australians for the first time in our history, which is fantastic news. We are preparing for elections, and we frequently say it takes four years to prepare for an election, but we just managed to squeeze it into three. Uh, Or we're doing myriad other activities, like educating uh, Australians about elections um, oddly, we also do probably close to about a thousand industrial elections a year as well, and a range of other activities, including assisting some of our overseas partners. At election time, Rory, I know you know this, but it is frenetic. Um, it's almost like growing a Fortune 500 company in four weeks and dismantling it a week after. We go from about 750 permanent staff to over 100,000 staff. Um, polling places, 8,000 polling places around Australia, voting overseas mobile polling, um, remote area mobile polling in indigenous communities. We print close to 50 million ballot papers. We quality assure all of that process and then do the count at the other end and deliver a safe result on behalf of all of Australians.
0: And I guess a lot of us just see the counting bit and think, you know, it's all what happens on uh, election day. This this miraculous infrastructure is rolled out, hotly contested, uh, wrapped up and done, and then we don't see you again for a few years. But it, it's clearly uh, much more, I guess, ubiquitous than that. Um, what's it got to do with national security, though? And I think, you know, I'm I'm really pleased to be speaking with you about national security, but uh, many would still wonder, okay, that's what election's about. What's that got to do with Australia's security?
1: Yeah, and it's a great question. Um, and i it- what I'd say is it's got everything to do with Australia's overall national security. Having free and fair and trusted elections are actually a critical part of national security. And in fact, if you think about that old, um, what are the pillars of a secure and civil society, you know, a free press and an independent judiciary? And um, uh, one of those aspects is also free and fair elections that are trusted by citizens. And I, I think today, Rory, we might come back to that concept of trust in elections and how you make sure that uh, citizens do trust the result. You've seen overseas in recent times where there's a failure of trust in the electoral result and it can lead to civil disorder. So we're really conscious of that. I think it's inextricably linked with the broad concept of national security, more so than ever before. And this
0: is reflected
1: a little, I guess, in
0: the the career that you've had. I'd like to I guess get a little personal for a moment, and then move back to the big questions about Australian democracy. But Tom, in your own career, among other things, you've worked in what we would call the national security community. Uh, you know, beginning uh, I think back in 1983 when you uh, graduated uh, as an officer from um, from uh, Duntroon from the, the Royal Military College. So you've uh, you've been involved in Australia's security and other roles. You've worked in the private sector. How is your thinking about what is national security
1: developed during your career? Mm. Uh, I wish I could tell you, Rory, that in 1983, I had some sort of plan for that. uh, And things have just evolved, as it frequently does, I think, for all of us. If I think about the way my own thinking in this matter has changed, in, in 2007, I was the Electoral Commissioner State Manager in New South Wales and responsible for the 2007 election in New South Wales. When we thought about security then, we were really thinking about the sort of security that had bedeviled elections for 100 years, security of the ballot paper and making sure that things ran smoothly. It's fundamentally changed. Um, and in 2018, all Australian electoral commissioners, um, State and myself, wrote a letter to every first minister and the prime minister seeking government assistance with electoral security. We wrote to COAG, got a COAG agenda item, and really that started the ball rolling in a whole range of different ways. Because COAG is the Council of Australian, Australian Governments. Australian Governments, I should say, or was the Council yeah, of Australian Governments. Before the National Cabinet. Exactly. And that's the first time that ever happened uh, for any electoral commission to actually take that step because we were concerned about the way that the security environment had evolved and that our jobs were evolving and it was almost happening by stealth without the kind of recognition from broader government that we needed assistance and it was important. This isn't that, uh,
0: among other things, in the, uh, the aftermath of what we saw in the United States in, in 2016. And we'll, I suspect we'll come back to all of that. And just to remind everyone, of course, that uh, Australia is headed for a federal election sometime in the first half of um, of, uh, of next year, of 2022. So that's a major um, challenge. That's the fundamental challenge for you. It's the big test, uh, apart from all the constant support you do. The landscape's evolved, though, and you've talked already about how security in the broad is such a Fundamental part now of what uh, the AEC does. How have you seen the election landscape evolve more generally in Australia during your career? The jobs become more complex,
1: not only in the security sense, I would imagine. Mm. No, that's exactly right. I think um, it, it has become more complex in the in the security sense, but it's just broadly more complex in a societal sense. One of the big trends has been the rise of citizens' use of social media. Now, I'm not saying that's either a good or a bad thing, I'm just observing, but therefore citizens want to interact far more with uh, government agencies, and they also want to hold those government agencies to a very, very high standard. And what we've witnessed over the last few elections is citizens will quite often post information, uh, take photos of what occurs uh, around polling places or their experience with democracy. They'll have an immediate view about that. Um, And Rory, this is not meant to be critical. It's an observation that sometimes those views are not tethered to the reality of the legislation. They have an expectation of what they think should occur. And quite often, that's well outside the remit of the Electoral Commission. So we are trying to meet citizen expectations. And that's probably been the biggest change. And for this election, it'll be the first time we've got something called a reputation management strategy, which is our way of trying to reach out into the community and assure citizens, again, that they can trust the result and deal with the rise of social media, the rise of citizen interaction with elections, um, and some of the other issues that we've seen globally that have bedeviled other electoral uh, authorities.
0: What's what's brought this on for you, though, I mean, above all this this concern that you have to have a reputation management strategy?
1: Um, It would be wrong of me to criticise any particular country uh, for their election, but let me just talk globally over the last couple of years that elections we've seen I think um, in some cases, we've seen intense criticism of electoral systems. If I've looked at that in detail, it's not necessarily that the election's failed. The election quite often has delivered what it said on the tin. What's happened is a collapse in the reputation of the electoral system. and Quite often, that's been brought about by some pretty inflamed commentary on social media or, in fact, mainstream media. We watch that. We've watched the way that's evolved overseas. We're seeing some echoes of that here, so it's encouraged us Ah, uh, to take that step with the reputation management strategy, and Rory, I, I know you know this, but as a statutorily independent agency, it's up to us to do it. There's no one sitting over our shoulders saying, "Here's a good idea for you." It's up to us to take those steps, and that's exactly what we've been doing.
0: But I guess you're in a position to sound a bit of early warning if the you know if the capacity of the Australian Electoral Commission to to do that job uh, is uh, is being stretched. Uh,
1: absolutely, and. Uh, you know, one, one example of that is this will be the, I know this sounds unbelievable given how long we've been running elections, but this election will be the first time that we've had a proper, fully funded command and control centre to help us run the election. You know, previously, um, Australian elections were run on a shoestring budget and we we made it all come together. But given the environment has changed so much, we've invested uh, in making sure that we, we can respond to the issues that we're seeing and be better prepared.
0: The the friendliness and the informality of Australian election campaigns is or has been famous, of course. Um, but 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 are you saying that um, that
1: that's that's under strain? I'm saying that we would prefer to keep that as the motive for Australian elections, and the way to do that is to prepare. We have a, a saying about the um, electoral commission's conundrum: the easier we make the election look the easier people think it is to run the election, if that makes any sense. And I think we've had an extraordinary history of running what is truly one of the world's most complex elections in a really smooth way. Um, But we want to keep it that way, and that's about prior planning.
0: So, Tom, you've talked about some of the the risks that uh, the integrity of uh, Australian democracy faces, particularly from Social media or, you know, use and abuse of, um, of social media. And I do want to come back a bit later to that question of, um, of disinformation and misinformation more, um, more generally. But it would be interesting to know if there are other technology based concerns you have for national security or for security risks to uh, the integrity of our elections.
1: Um, I might maybe talk about some of our responses, and that might put it in context. I think, Rory, when we when we went out to um, when we went to Coag as the Council of Australian Governments, as you said before, part of the assistance we got was uh, for a, um, a mini audit of Australia's electoral systems, and that really assisted us get an un- state and federal to get an understanding of where we were. Um, and since that time, government has also assisted us by helping us set up a thing called the Electoral Integrity Assurance Task Force. And I have to, to say, this is one of our main responses to the broad environment in which we're operating. And it's a way of us getting support from intelligence and security agencies, amongst others. Uh, and we stood that up before the last federal election. It's also assisting state electoral authorities. Uh, now, it's tricky, Rory, because the last thing you want is intelligence and security agencies actually involved in the election. But that's still fascinating to hear that, you know, you, and, and and you'll share this quite
0: openly, I imagine that the Australian intelligence community now has a role in
1: engaging with you in protecting our, our elections. Well, I think all arms of government have a role. And just, just while we're on that, um, and I know this will sound pretty hokey, but we're very conscious the AEC doesn't own Australia's elections. We all own those elections. So I think we've all got a role to play, citizens, um, political parties, candidates, and other arms of government. But it's not just the intelligence community, it's a whole range of resources that the Electoral Integrity Assurance Task Force uh, brings to bear. And we're really pleased with that level of support, but it's a recognition that things have changed. The important thing though, Rory, is there's an air gap between that task force and me. So it provides advice to the commissioner, it doesn't direct the commissioner, because that would really be undercutting the very nature of an independent election. So it's a really critical part of what we've done. We'll be right back after this short break.
0: Around the world, democracies are in crisis. Leaders have become followers. Populists offer glib solutions to complex problems. And people search for answers. Block out the noise. Each week on Democracy Sausage, we go deeper to bring you insights from leading scholars, journalists, and commentators to help you make sense of the world. I'm Mark Kenny from the Australian National University. Join me at the Democracy Sausage Hot Plate every Monday and Thursday. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. Uh, broaden the aperture, if we can, and talk about democracy more generally and Australian attitudes to democracy. You know, If I think about what is it that distinguishes Australian national identity, I, I, I like to think of the, the broad uh, respect for and adherence to all, all kinds of, I guess, values and characteristics of being a liberal democracy, freedom of expression, rule of law, and so forth. But it's fascinating to look at polling of what Australians across this um, this very broad diverse country actually think about democracy and there's some pretty positive data I think in recent years about high levels of confidence in democracy surprisingly or not uh, sometimes those numbers get a little smaller with younger demographics that concerns me a little bit but what do you think about this if you can offer a view Tom why why do you think Australians maintain generally a high faith or confidence in democracy? Um, what, what sets
1: Australia apart? Mm. Rory, I, I'd like to claim for the commission some credit here. I think part of it is because we run trusted free and fair elections and people are confident that when they go into the booth, mark a ballot paper – their mark is faithfully translated into a result that they can trust. And we've often said that a ballot paper is like a a democratic blank check that we cash on behalf of citizens. Um, I also think that our um, compulsory voting system really has bred additional engagement. Uh, People, you know, there are surveys after every election about whether Australians support compulsory voting, and they do, by and large. Um, and people do see it as a fairly minor inconvenience to turn up and have their say about the future of our country. So I know that um, the political debate about who you support or your views about a range of issues is becoming increasingly febrile, but at the same time, people still trust the process itself. Part of that, I do think, is the kind of what you started off with, Rory, the peaceful nature of Australian democracy. It's become synonymous with the the democracy sausage, or if you're a vegetarian, I'm not sure, the ballot falafel, or whatever it is that people go there. And it it really is a celebration of democracy. Uh, It it is very rare that there's disorder at the polls. It's done in a respectful and calm way. And I think that's actually assisted that process. Our turnout rates um, globally are very, very high. I also think that helps that people feel like we've all had a say. Now, I know I'm giving you an electoral commissioner's perspective on that. Others might have a different view, but I think the manner in which the elections are delivered, and I do mean not just the AEC, but everybody from political parties through to citizens, has helped keep that engagement with the democratic process. So even if people have perhaps jaundiced view about the politics itself, the process is still trusted. And I think- uh, I get these stats wrong, over 90% of Australians at the last election told us that they trusted the AEC to deliver uh, a solid result, and I think that's excellent for democracy itself.
0: And look, I think there's no harm in a little bit of Australian self-congratulation on some of these issues. It's not only compulsory voting, and, of which I'm a fan, but also you know Australia's history with um, extending... The franchise, the, the fact that Australia was such a pioneer in in, in votes for women, uh, you know, the 19th century secret ballot is known in as the Australian ballot, ballot. Exactly. I mean, You know, yeah. and I, I I think it was uh, pretty controversial for a long time in some other parts of the world. Um, so Australia does have a, I think, a, a reasonably pioneering role there, uh, and that's uh, that, that's really worth emphasising, especially for some of our international listeners. What about the um, the demographics. So, what about the the question of whether we can renew this confidence in democracy uh, among younger Australians?
1: Mm. Youth enrolment is a great marker of whether youth are engaged or not, and of course, it's uh, no surprise globally youth enrolment is generally lower than um, non youth enrolment, if I can use that term. But we've seen a big push in youth enrolment in Australia at a reasonable rate. We're certainly, if I get this figure wrong, Rory. I'm forgive me, it's just that I don't have them in front of me, but over 80%, um, youth are pretty engaged. And you you can vote at the age of 18, but you can enrol at 17, right? You can provisionally enrol earlier. Um, And in fact, uh, the growth of the role in Australia, both youth categories and all other categories, is actually one of the world's great uh, democracy success stories. When I was first in the commission, I think the enrolment rate was something like about 92% complete. We never thought we'd get beyond that. Uh, We're now at 96% at the last election, we've got close to 97% of engaged Australians who are enrolled and take elections seriously. So it's another marker of why Australians are so engaged in that process.
0: So I'm going to shift you away from the good news again, and let's go back to the challenges that you're preparing for next year, and particularly this question of whether um, what you might call election legitimacy is at risk, is under threat. Uh, you know there are a number of other countries in the world, and I I'm very happy to name the the United States uh, as uh, one of those where we've seen some really quite profound challenges to election legitimacy, particularly um, you know in, in the past 12 months. What are you doing? What is the Australian Electoral Commission doing to prepare for some of the I guess the uglier possibilities that could occur in the future where? We may see challenges to election legitimacy in mm. this country. Uh, it's the,
1: obviously the big question facing electoral administration authorities globally, Rory. And there is some good news here in that we're actually doing it quite a fair bit. Um, I mentioned before the work of the Electoral Integrity Assurance Task Force, and that's a critical part of helping us monitor the health of elections. Um, and you know, perhaps we might talk about cybersecurity and other issues a bit later on. But um, the as you've pointed to, some of the overseas elections really, really did struggle. Um, And one of the things we're doing at this election is um, rerunning a campaign we did at the last election called Stop and Consider. And uh, the last election, very successful for us, I think we had something like 56 million social media impressions and 100,000 downloads. Sorry, what does Stop and Consider mean? Well, it means stop and consider the source of where that information is coming from. Now, it's not about stop and consider whether that is a truthful message. And we might talk about that perhaps a bit later as well, but it's a reminder to citizens that not everything they see uh, is accurate. Now, I'd I'd love to claim total credit for it, Rory, but we stole it shamelessly um, off the Swedes. And if um, again, if uh, this message is not entirely accurate, the way I think they ran their message was something like, if it makes you angry, it's probably fake, obviously, in Swedish. Um, we market tested that here, and that didn't quite fly, but Stop and Consider did fly. Uh, and we that was an electoral commission initiative. We've got a huge level of citizen recognition of that and the message. And we're going to double down on that again. This uh, campaign with reputation management strategy is another part of that. Even Rory we doing things like today to try and get citizens to understand more about their electoral process. Is critical. And I guess uh, the final thing is that we're conscious of not just electoral administration authorities, but there's been kind of a global collapse in the respect for referees uh, and for regulators. And uh, three weeks ago, we were on a very early morning call with the Canadian uh, electoral commissioner about their recent election. And they spoke about some of the lack of civility that they saw in polling places, which they hadn't seen previously. So it's a, it's something we're aware of. And are developing plans to deal with.
0: And Canada is usually a pretty civil place, so that's yes. something to, to watch for. And you I mean, you know, in a very crude sense, I guess your your role could be defined in terms of an umpire or referee regarding the process. That's exactly right.
1: Well, yes, um, oddly, we deliver and referee our own process as well. Uh, but we are we are responsible for arbitrating occasionally behaviour between various uh, political parties. Um, although, as you've indicated before, not
0: truth, which is a separate issue. And all of this must lead to some pretty interesting conversations that I guess occur in private. Uh,
1: yes, it's uh, elections are an interesting uh, thing, and they certainly bring out um, the very best and the very worst in citizens, parties, and candidates, and we see it all, and that leads to some very interesting conversations. So
0: in terms of your preparations for plausible futures, I mean, you, you're – you're testing, right? You're testing scenarios. You're thinking about how how things could unfold in Australia. Is there anything you can share in, in terms of that work?
1: Yeah. Well, look, um, Rory, we've been very fortunate to partner with a range of different intelligence and security agencies, and even um, the National Security College, as you know. And we've been enjoying that partnership very much, including uh, some of the great scenarios we've been working through. I mean, we have a feeling that if we don't do it at election time, well, no one else is doing it because it's our responsibility. You know, I couldn't have envisaged, even you know, at the 2013 election, that we would have been doing c- scenarios about national security uh, and what elections mean for their citizens as we move forward. So the work we're doing with you and others is critical for our future. We've also started a process called Voter 2030, where we're trying to prepare for the long-term future, not just the next election, but the next few elections, to think about what citizens will expect at that point and how we can prepare now for it.
0: And I should just acknowledge the, the great work my colleagues do at the, the Futures Hub at the National Security College, including uh, working with uh, your, with your team. Tom, on on scenarios, and of course we engage with many agencies on plausible futures. Many arms of um, government and of uh, administration in Australia, but we're really privileged to work with you on that. Um, let's move then to foreign interference, and that's uh, obviously another of those really hot button issues, uh, very sensitive issues in recent years. But these days, as opposed to five or 10 years ago, it's quite uh, normal. It's quite mainstream to talk about foreign interference openly as a risk to Australia's national security. And presumably that applies also to the electoral process. So what's your role? What's the Australian Electoral Commission's role in combating foreign interference? Mm. Um, So, of course,
1: there are a large number of... um, statutory agencies within Australia have a responsibility for doing that. But at election time, we are responsible for delivering a safe, free and fair election. And that means engaging with those other agencies. So without going into the obvious detail, Rory, before each election, we do meet with intelligence agencies. We talk about the global environment, specific threats that may have been identified and how we might try and counter those. Um, A lot of that work is then summed into the work of the Electoral Integrity Assurance Task Force. Uh, and other agencies that support us. Um, and we are more engaged with those agencies than we've ever been previously. The stop and consider campaign itself is part of that process to alert citizens to where information comes from and And maybe I might use that as a as a discussion point to talk about truth, uh, Rory, because quite often foreign interference um, and in fact, any interference in the electoral process comes down to the issue of truth. and Probably, not unreasonably, citizens think the Electoral Commission has a role to play in being the arbiter of truth between various parties. And that you know, obviously plays into this space of foreign interference. I think um, that would be a really difficult space for us to get into. We don't have the power. We are not the arbiters of truth as you know elections are a contest of ideas and one person's idea or truth is another person's fake news uh, and we've been very scrupulous in not opining on what truth is at election time but we do try and monitor where information is coming from to the extent that we can uh we we do social media monitoring in particular more than we've ever done previously we've now got a great social media team and in fact uh, I think we've got the most assertive social media team of any Commonwealth government agency. If you pop on and have a look at some of the information they're dealing with on a daily basis, all of this is designed to deal with the broad ecosystem of information, whether it's um, whether information is coming domestically or from foreign sources. And we're again, we are ramping up our ability at the next election to try and monitor that um, and to look at it. So that's broadly what we're doing in that space. So you're not the truth
0: police, basically, but the scale of that challenge of monitoring information, where it's coming from, and perhaps helping shed sufficient light, or at least helping helping the rest of us ask the questions of ourselves, stop and consider, the scale of that task is presumably getting larger by the day, whether it's with technology, whether it's with our, uh, I guess, engagement with the international system, whether it's with the um, the growing number of, of, of parties in the
1: Australian electoral system. Is that fair? Uh, it's becoming increasingly complex. And our stop and consider campaign, I think, is a really great way of, of dealing with that. But I must say, Rory, there is, there is a gap there nationally outside of election time for a stop and consider campaign to run more broadly, not just at election time. Uh, to deal with the issue of digital literacy of our citizens. Uh, Now, when we we did an analysis of that campaign after the last election, citizens said, great, understand why you did it. Understand why you did it at election time and why the AEC would do it. But there's, I I think, still a missing piece more broadly. um, And I think that would complement the election time campaign very nicely. Still on the security of elections, uh, and I think you mentioned the word
0: cyber Mm -hmm. earlier, Uh, you know- those of us who are, um, you know, long-time Australian voters, uh, Australian citizens, and have had the pleasure of voting in many of these elections over the years, we're you know we're accustomed to the Australian the paper ballots, uh, often the, the monstrously large ballots for the for the Senate in particular. Um, but uh, of course, it varies worldwide. You know, relative dependence on paper as opposed to um, electronic voting. Can you comment a little bit on the relative security risks? you know, for paper or electronic voting, Uh, you know, is there a case for Australia going fully electronic? Uh,
1: I reckon as people are listening to this, Rory, it's such a fertile area for disagreement. There are people throwing things at their, whatever device they're listening to this on, um, because there are entrenched views on this. I think that the ultimate security at the moment is the fact that we are doing paper and pencil Voting. It's very cyber secure, you could say. Very cyber secure, and I do note that there are some overseas countries that went down the path of doing um, electronic voting are moving back to pencil and paper voting. Now that doesn't mean there won't be some space in the future uh, for electronic voting. Um, I know that a couple of the Australian jurisdictions do it. I think here in the ACT, there's a, a um, you go into the booth, you do some form of electronic voting. The New South Wales Electoral Commission, I think, is doing the largest internet vote um, and seems to be doing that very successfully, but federally, um, I'm very happy that we've got paper and pencil voting. I think it's a uh, secure, um, rates pretty well with people, and I think that the question of electronic voting might be a question for the next electoral commissioner. And good luck to that person, whoever they are. Um, but it will need to be done in such a safe and secure way to ensure that this bit of this thing about trust we spoke about before isn't damaged if it's uh, introduced.
0: So what are the cyber risks then if, as you say, you know most of the voting is is on paper and is sort of classically cyber secure? Uh, what are the cyber risks?
1: We use a huge number of systems, Rory, behind the scenes. Uh, everything from the role management system, which is still, uh, I think, the most complete database of Australians, uh, through the election management system itself. And we've recently been given uh, money by government to start the process of redevelopment of those systems. It is a big project. It'll be a very long-term project. Those systems are now, I think, over 35 years old. Uh, they're written in a language that isn't supported anymore. I think there's us and you know one other organization in the world that still uses some of this stuff. So we need to update to make sure it's secure. Now, we work hand in glove with the Australian Signals Directorate and with other agencies. They assist us We're very confident that we're as secure as we can be, but this is uh, an area globally that we need to be aware of. We saw what happened in other countries um, with uh, failures of cybersecurity at election time, and we want to make sure that doesn't happen with us. So how how confident can we be in the
0: cybersecurity of the Australian electoral roll, the data of those 17 million Australians? Um,
1: We have done everything we possibly can to make sure that is secure and safe. Uh, As I mentioned, we work with the Australian Signals Directorate um, and others to make sure that that is as safe and secure as possible.
0: Let's move before we finish to this this question of misinformation and disinformation. And I think we had recently on the uh, the podcast Paul Fletcher, the Minister for Communications, who's... Said and written a lot about um governing in the internet age and 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 neatly uh recapitulated for us that distinction between misinformation and and, and disinformation in other words a distinction between uh you know getting something wrong if you like and deliberately mm. deceiving uh, it would be really useful to understand how you're not only responding to if you like, um, you know, an unevenness of truth in the um, uh, electoral campaigns, but particularly active
1: um, disinformation uh, during elections. I might segment this. It's incredibly dry, Rory, but what is critically important to us is mis- and disinformation about the electoral process itself, where people, as you've said, either inadvertently or for their own reasons, say things like- um, the vote's cancelled, for example, for example, or you don't have to vote. Or if you're over the age of X, you don't have all of that information. We deal with- And all this is happening, right? Or all this- It happens every time. Yeah. Uh, at most elections, uh, there's some sort of campaign about um, the AEC is erasing your ballots. Don't use pencils, you know, use pens. Um, all of those things, we jump on that as aggressively as we can because it's confusing people and could lead to either suppressing the vote. Uh, or people misunderstanding you know, the instructions. So that's really important for us. Anything to do with the electoral process, whether it's mis or disinformation, we jump on. And uh, the vast majority of people, it is by mistake. Uh, when we contact them, they're horrified. They immediately correct uh, what they are Also, done. some of
0: these people who are spreading information, but they really think
1: that yeah. <laughs> they've got it right. And they've got it right, and they believe it very, very firmly um, until they're, we, we point out to them in a very firm way that they haven't. Um, So that's an important part. The second part where we get a huge number of people contacting the AEC, as you would imagine, is where a campaign will say something about the other campaign, about a policy position. And people expect the AEC again to jump in and and take uh, action. And that's absolutely, fundamentally not our role. And it comes back to that issue of truth. So there's a whole ecosystem here about misinformation, disinformation, truth, and our role. And it's why we settled on that Stop and consider campaign being stop and consider the source of information. It was a really critical pathway that we went down to make sure that citizens understood we have a role to play, but it's not in determining where truth lies in an election campaign. so just just two
0: last thoughts to um to wrap up, Tom, and I, I really value how I guess open you've been about the the challenges that you face as well as you know the quality of Australian democracy. One issue is, of course, the COVID nineteen context that we're all now dealing in, and you know there are there are instances around the world now where the COVID nineteen factor is affecting the uh, the smoothness and even the the reputation of elections. Um, just you know, on a completely separate note, you know the um, uh, the issue in New Caledonia at the moment with the um, the referendum there uh, in December, where the uh, the COVID nineteen factor has been brought in as a a reason for one side to say, let's postpone postpone the vote and potentially boycott it. In the Australian context, do you see uh, certain risks about COVID-19 disrupting polling next year? And what what can we do about it?
1: I absolutely see those risks, Rory. Uh, We're dealing with that right now. So internally in the AEC, we've set up a unit that's responsible for helping us manage out the COVID um, front-facing response at election time. So, Elections are already the most complex peacetime logistic event in the life of a nation, certainly in Australia, given the complexity of our electoral system. COVID is another overlay on that, and it will have an impact. Uh, if I think about a couple of critical things, depending on where we are, you know, in the COVID pandemic, we may not be able to, for example, get into hospitals and old folks' homes where we normally do mobile polling. Um, And we're going to have to come up with other solutions for that. There'll be Indigenous communities that are difficult to reach because some of them are closed because of COVID. Of course, this could skew the result if we don't have plans in place to deal with that. And that's what we're doing right now is working through that process. We delivered two by-elections in the middle of the pandemic, and um, we had all the sorts of COVID overlays that you would you know, imagine. And we're going to have to roll that out on a very large scale at the federal event. I'm also conscious of cost, Rory. This will be um, by a long shot, the most expensive election in Australia's history, and COVID has a, a, a big part of that. All of these are things that we're trying to deal with to make sure that the election is as normal as it possibly can be, and that everyone feels that it's safe to go into the polling place and to vote or to vote by post, whatever they're doing at that point. And what's extraordinary to me from everything I've heard is that
0: despite all of these challenges, uh, you know, we are still in this country quite accustomed to uh, an election being held on a saturday at some point on the saturday evening or the saturday night most votes have been not only counted but you know there's an acceptance of the the legitimacy of that count we may or may not have an overall result but it's still a very very rapid process uh, using a, a workforce that – I mean, much of your workforce is actually volunteers, right, when it comes to election day.
1: Well, I guess they're a form of volunteering that – well, they volunteer to do but they are, they are paid for that event. They're
0: volunteers in the sense yep. that they're, they're – I'll clarify that. They're brought in temporarily yep. for that election. They're not on your payroll long term. Uh, they come and they go. They're, they're, they're citizens who have essentially uh,
1: joined. Your mum and dad, your uncle and auntie, et cetera. And in fact, that's an integrity measure itself, Rory. It's an interesting part of the process that uh, when people frequently say, um, or might say after the event, I saw something that happened in the polling place that was wrong, quite often there's someone that was actually there that says, hang on, I was there, that's not right. And they deal with disinformation and misinformation in their own way. They're a really good part of the process. Um, look, I think uh, I think that, um, that complexity with COVID will continue. I think the temporary workforce remains a very integral part of what we're doing. But it is complex, Rory, to give them the level of training they need. Uh, because it's not just the training, I forget the percentage, but maybe the last election, about 30,000 people of that workforce were also character cleared in that process of four weeks of training. Uh, and doing everything else to try and make sure we've got the very best workforce to deliver that outcome.
0: So you go from a standing start to deliver a temporary workforce of of how many? 100,000 people. Right. It's, it's one of the largest workforces in Australia. From a
1: permanent workforce of- About 700 or Right. It's a, it, it really is extraordinary. I think, as I mentioned at the start, it really is like building something like a Fortune 500 company in a few days and dismantling it. And they have to be trained. They have to be character checked. And we have to quality assure them to make sure that they can actually deliver the process. And we're very fortunate. We've got- Great uh, workers who come out time and time again, they love it, uh, and they're an integral part of delivering a safe and trusted election.
0: And so, if you like, the, the reputation of the election is just
1: as much in their hands as it is in the hands of your, your permanent uh, absolutely. staff. Absolutely. We're very conscious of that. And I um, just to use that to segue into an issue that you raised previously, um, oddly, one of the key markers of democratic success, not just in Australia, but overseas, is queuing on the day. I'm not quite sure how we got there, but um, citizens, particularly in Australia, just don't like queuing. They're prepared to do it for, I'm not sure what, Rory, a new iPhone maybe or the going to the football, but voting queuing becomes very, uh, very very irritating for people. Normally, about 75% of Australians are in and out of the polling place in under 15 minutes. And I think if you look globally at some of those pictures yeah. that you see with people queuing up for hours, it's great. But even 15 minutes, um, much beyond that, Australians get very cranky. This election, with the COVID overlay, potentially with the identity legislation that you mentioned before, there's likely to be queues. One of the things that we'll have to do is manage mis- and disinformation about that and ensure that citizens still understand that globally, uh, that we are at the forefront of being able to manage those things, and it's still a a great event. 15 minutes,
0: half an hour, it's a pretty small Inconvenience, window. absolutely, for um for exercising your right to to choose your government. Look, uh, Tom, it's been a really fascinating conversation. I think very useful and timely conversation. I'm really glad that we're thinking about national security in this much broader sense. And I think, like all Australians, like all the 17 million voters uh, and, and the rest of us, um, I wish you all the best with um, with the election next year and with. Um, helping Australia to, um, to deliver democracy. So thank you. Thank you very much, Rory. Well, that's it for today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to give the podcast a rating wherever you listen. And of course, subscribe. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.